0: If you enjoy and would love to support this podcast, please check us out on Patreon. We are www.patreon.com forward slash AA Opera. Hello, 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 and welcome back to AA Opera Podcast episode 52. Whoop, whoop. whoop.
1: It is so good to be back here. <laughs> I'm so glad these are a regular thing because it's just so great to catch up with the Avi. I Speaking of,
0: how's your week been? My week has been a very exciting because it's just it was all it was it was all this like emotions whether or not everything was gonna be okay with the inauguration. And then yesterday I watched the inauguration; and it was all fine <laughs> and beautiful. And I want, oh my god! I was on after the inauguration. I went on Instagram and jamie barton was saying that she was saying she wants to get a, a composer to write music for amanda Gorman's poems and i was like oh my god i'm totally sing that and i have a very similar like Fach to jamie barton so i'm like and i will sing whatever you yeah <laughs>
1: yeah oh yes i mean i just i love the ideas of of operas being you know written and based around something that's gone go, gone on quite recently are going on right now. That's why I love like Ian Bell so much. Like his Stonewall um was just like you know, it was it brought opera to a new time. Yeah. Refreshing. It brings opera to a new time. So oh yes, hopefully that happens. <laughs> I'm also really yeah. loving Jamie Bond's
0: TikToks, by the way, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you yes. would I just love Jamie yeah. Barton. Can we just give a Jamie Barton appreciation yeah. moment yeah. here? She's just <laughs> incredible. Ashley, how's your week been? Before we get talking more about the inauguration, because I have yeah more, definitely because I,
1: cause I was I was into that yesterday as well. I, th- I mean, it's one of those things where the whole world watches, right? I mean, everyone was aware that was happening yesterday. But before we get onto that, yeah, I mean. there's nothing much to report I mean we're in lockdown I'm really enjoying these podcasts and um, I'm trying to keep up the peloton exercise I'm like peloton's like biggest fan now and I've gone it's to the point just for development from last week I've now gone on Instagram and followed the instructors on Instagram (laughs) so I'm now like being hit with constant motivation to go and exercise but I think it's, it's jokes aside like it's really important when you know you're just not really supposed to be going outside right now so that's what's keeping me going um n- nothing much more to update really
0: <laughs> so i actually have one thing to say so this is the second time we were recording this <laughs> intro because i made a mistake yesterday and i convinced ashley to record something that we didn't need to record so we're re recording this but yesterday ashley was talking ashley and i after the podcast got talking about dogs And then I wanted to tell you that I spent about forty five minutes yesterday on adoption websites for dogs. And I was like I was like, oh my God, this is a not that I can get a dog right now because my landlord doesn't let us have a dog. But I was just like, This dog is very cute. This dog is very cute. (laughs) This dog is very And then I finally found one. I was like, Oh my god, that's the dog I would want. He was like a medium to large sized dog. His name was Sebastian. Oh amazing. He had like He was a black and white, shaggy kind of like border collie. Gorgeous. Oh my god, gorgeous.
1: But you do realize that's totally fine to spend forty five minutes doing that during lockdown because that will bring forty five minutes of sheer happiness.
0: (laughs) Then there was another one. Oh, this is the saddest part. Okay, they had another one that I was like, "Oh, you're beautiful," but she was deaf and could only live with another dog. Like, and I was like. how do you how do you even train a deaf oh, dog? I know. Was it quite old or? No, she was like eight weeks old. Oh,
1: And she was deaf. Oh, that see that that just breaks your heart. I mean, if that doesn't make you want to like go adopt a dog right now, then you know what will. Um, mm. that is incredibly cute. <laughs> but yeah. should we talk about this inauguration yesterday? Because we were texting each other as well, and we were like. Oh, like what? Like this is incredible, um, Lady Gaga, shall I say? Gaga, um, Gaga. Um, I just felt for her in some ways. I don't know if it's like the performer vibe, but I was like, how nervous must she be? <laughs> she, she did say national
0: anthem. Jose,
1: can you see? <laughs> yes, I mean, she's such a diva. Like, she absolutely held her own. I mean, there was moments where I was like, oh, is it gonna crack? Is it gonna crack? <laughs> but um, I mean, it didn't. It, so it didn't. And I just, like, I mean, it was the whole shebang of it. It was the outfit. It was how
0: poised. Can we, yeah, I she was like, Come one second. Can we talk it? about the dress? Be- because that dress. <laughs> I was like, it was a mix between Tiana's friend in The Princess and the Frog, the Disney movie. Oh, okay. It was a mix between that dress and the American flag. It was incredible. It was great. It was great. Um, I, it,
1: I was transfixed by it all. But I think the main thing was like, I just felt, I just, was, I felt nerves from her, like underneath it all. I feel yeah. like I could, I mean totally understandable the entire world is watching you but um, yeah it was amazing
0: <laughs> what about J-Lo?
1: I didn't see JLo's los part
0: because <gasps> I was just watching J-Lo's... catch up
1: bits on the BBC news and maybe J-Lo was a bit much for BBC news <laughs> she
0: no she was incredible and then she stopped in the middle and started speaking in Spanish and it was just that was amazing. And then when the mm. firefighter came out to say the Pledge of Allegiance, she did it in sign language as well. I was like, the entire time I was like on the verge of tears. I was like, this is so good. Oh,
1: wow. Oh, I need to go like watch the whole thing, I think, from start to finish, because I've just yeah. watched
0: like and, The Oath Taken and Lady Gaga. <laughs> and watch Amanda Gorman. She is, first of all, she looked incredible. I've seen her. Like She's
1: all over like pictures, all over Instagram, and so I've already been like, "Who is this woman? Like, this woman
0: is incredible." So yeah, <laughs> and hopefully we'll and... see an opera about her. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Come on, Jamie Barton, you got this. Um, but yeah, wait. Sorry, we have an episode coming out today. This is oh, we the do. We have... <laughs> do. You see,
1: these these lockdown catch ups are just becoming a real thing. Um, but we really should introduce this week's guest.
0: This week's guest is Olivia Fuchs, and she is an opera director and opera maker. She is a wonderful person and very insightful in the career. So don't uh, don't get straight away into our inauguration conversations. We can have those any time of the week, but for now, here is Olivia. <laughs>
1: and welcome back to aa opera today we are here with olivia
2: fuchs can you please introduce yourself to our listeners yes hi i'm olivia and i'm a freelance opera director opera maker um i suppose i've been working in the profession for i don't know about 30 years and i started off in theatre and i now um yeah freelance working for all sorts of companies internationally and nationally very exciting. Um,
0: you were actually born in London, but grew up in Greece, the U.S., and Germany. Really spread, spread everywhere. That's amazing. Can you tell us about your earliest experiences of the theater?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I mean, just to explain that, is my mother's English and my father's German. So hence my surname. And he, my father, was an archaeologist. So we moved around a lot. And the only reason I was born in London was because my mother came over from Greece to, for me to be born here Uh, because she was worried if I was a boy that I would have to do military service in Greece. Um, So anyway we moved around a lot when I was small and I think in a way that um, gave me the lifestyle of being an opera, working in opera and theater, of just moving around making really intense friendships and then moving on. Uh, My first experiences of theater were like they were really in Germany um, and I used to go to a wonderful theater in Bochum which had an amazing theater company And I then really got excited and started working in the theatre myself and sort of as an extra. And I really wanted to become an actor. That was my main sort of ambition in life at that time. But I just loved everything about it. It was very much, um, I wasn't really a theatre sort of person. I was quite serious and intellectual. So it really opened a whole magic box in myself, my imagination and what was possible in life.
1: That's that's amazing. I, I totally agree with the kind of ec- excitement you get from being in a theatre, which is something I think we all miss at the moment. Um, <laughs> you w- returned to London to study drama and German as well. Um, what was this experience like and what would you say the catalyst was for you to start pursuing directing?
2: Yeah, so I, I came to London partly because in England or in the UK you can study Um, on on lots of different levels you know you can study something academically and have a practical input as well so I was very lucky to be part of a um, degree course which was at Westfield College part of London University and also Central School of Speech and Drama so we did all our practical work at Central and that worked really well for me Um, and it was really through that that I got into, into directing I'd never ever, ever even thought of it, because the culture I grew up in quite a few decades ago now, uh, all directors were, were male, and usually also just shouting, screaming, autocratic directors. So it was nothing that even occurred to me that that, 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 that I mean, it might be something I would want to do. And as part of my course at um, Central, we had to do a bit of directing, and it turned out that I really enjoyed it, and I was, you know, I really relished it, and I was quite good at it. And so I did it as my third um, year option, and I directed a very strange uh, expressionist drama, which I'd translated as well. So it's, it's expressionist, it actually actually exists as an opera as well, which I, I then discovered later, oh. um, which is Hindemith Sancta Susanna*. that's the opera. But I did the drama and it's a lot of silence. So it's very strange to go from working with lots of silence and just bits of text to... Uh, Opera and music, but in some ways, I think it prepared me very well as well because um, it was really about what you can do with theatre, which isn't necessarily naturalistic, and that's what attracted me to opera. And, the- and I was then very so then I started off um, as a, an actor and I set up my own theatre company with another person. Um, and we, um, yeah, we worked, we sort of alternated between directing and acting. And then I got into directing again. And after a while, I realised that actually directing was more my thing. And I then had the opportunity to work with somebody called David Freeman, who used to run a company called Opera Factory. And they worked with uh, singers. He worked with singers the way you would work with actors. So it's very, very physical. I mean, he also had a got a bad reputation for always working with um, un- nudity. But I also learned a lot from him because he was... Um, very visceral and very physical with, with actors, with singers, and it opened up a whole possibility of, of what you could do with with performers, because before that, it was all a little bit stand and deliver, and that was the expectation. No. Yeah. Hark and bark. Hark and bark.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've heard of that. <laughs> um, did the study of acting help you in the career as a director,
2: though? Oh, absolutely. I'd say I'm, I'm really glad I took that detour um because you realize well one i think i can help singers and actors more because i've got a sort of understanding of of training and also it just gives me a an understanding of what people are the process that people are going through because i again i've sort of often observed directors who just expect it to be there just just sort it out and do it and actually that's not the process of acting at all and what i'm interested in is developing things with people and um yeah creating something together so that everybody can have an input and it's not just my vision i mean obviously i need to have a vision for the piece but then exactly how each role develops is a an organic process
1: yeah yeah we'd like now to talk a little bit about the theatre company which you co-founded quite early on in your career um you also ran a fringe pub theater in Kentish town. I'd love to hear more about this. Um, I'd also like to ask if you think fringe style theater um, could potentially be a good platform for opera. Like I know that, you know, like Grimeborn is kind of starting to like get more popular these days. And if you think that's, you know, a a good
2: platform. Yeah, I think it is. I think there are also quite a lot of companies doing that now aren't there as well, which is amazing. yeah, so basically, I um, was my experience was setting up this company uh, which I co-founded with um, with a friend, and the first show we did was in a fringe theatre because I mean in those days that's all we could afford. We had to sort of raise a thousand pounds each, which seemed like a huge amount of money, and um, we set up this company and we, the first show we did was Voigtsek, the the play, and I directed it. I translated it and directed it. And we did it at the canal cafe theater which just after we opened and we got great reviews from time out and we were like yes this is great and it burnt down so the theater burnt down with our set in it and everything it was nothing to do with us it wasn't our fault it happened when we weren't there but the actual theater burnt and so we then had to think well what do we do now and um, the person i was running the company with first said oh that's it then we've done our bit you know we there's nothing else we can do and i just said no we've got to try and so i rang up every single theater i went through this book contacts rang up every single theater starting with a and then i got to d and um there was this place i would never heard of called the duke of cambridge in kentish town and they said well actually um we've got a show on at the moment but it's about to finish come and have a look So we did, it's a completely different um, space, but our actors were all really keen to do it anyway, you know, to carry on. So we had to re, we sort of re, um, well, we had to recreate the set and we had to re-rehearse because it was a completely different sort of space. And it happened and it went really well. And then the pub theatre said, well, actually the people who are running this theatre At the moment they have just sort of they just want to finish they they split up as a company do you want to run it and so we went yes and it was the best thing that we could have had because this you know this disaster turned into an amazing opportunity because suddenly we could make a bit of money as well by renting it out to other companies and then keeping ourselves going you know so we did about i don't know three shows a, a year i think and in between we were renting it out it's very hard work um, and But I learned everything about theatre there, you know, because I had to do front of house, um, marketing, lighting, um, stage management, looking after the loo so there was enough loo paper, you know, that kind of thing. We literally had to do everything. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was very hard work and it couldn't, we couldn't sustain it for that long, but we did it for quite a few years. So, yeah. Does that answer your that's question, that's sorry, great. a very long roundabout way?
1: Yeah, 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 but um, what about using those sorts of spaces? Yeah, 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 sorry, opera? that was your question. You think that could work well? Yeah, I
2: think it would be great to use those sort of spaces. I mean, I feel this opportunity, you know, having having COVID-19, I think what's happening is that we have to all look at new ways of doing opera. So I think doing it site-specifically, doing it in different venues, doing it in small venues, I mean, I, I suppose small venues at the moment are difficult because of the restrictions, but I think it's definitely something to explore and it's something manageable because that's always the hard thing about opera that on lots of levels it can feel so big scale, can't it? So large scale. Mm-hmm. And I think it doesn't have to be at all. I think the small scale is is really valuable. And that's as a director, how I learned my my skills, you know, my trade in a way is just doing it, doing it with just a few people and then extending it out. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah. I-, I love seeing operas in more, intimate
0: settings or or, you know even outdoors
1: I know we can't rely on the British weather but there's also (laughs) something about
0: the operas you get to see different operas that way because the ones that are on the great stages and that are big and everything like that are the like repeated canon but by doing it you can actually look at operas like smaller operas that require less maybe less people but they also their stories are more intimate and you get to be intimate with your audience I think it's yeah what you're saying is great like you come back to the small stuff and then it also gives new opera a a platform
2: yeah i think definitely and i think the intimacy with the audiences is also really great and really inspiring because it's only when you've been really close up to singers working that you you get the whole visceral experience of what it's like don't you which i think is just so wonderful yeah it's such a you know it's always such a treat to be in a rehearsal room Sometimes I have to sort of pinch myself and go, my God, you know, I'm experiencing this, experiencing this every day, um, which is wonderful. And at the moment, I'm working at the Royal College of Music and we, again, because of, um, because of the pandemic, we uh, obviously can't do it to an audience. So we're doing scenes in different uh, parts of the college, which is really great. So it's quite site specific, using different rooms and and stairways and um, balconies and you know courtyards and we're even performing in Hyde Park we hope the weather permitting so it's quite a nice opportunity to just sort of explode that usual traditional we're performing it in a theatre and it has this specific way of being done you know it's really nice to just throw that all away for a a bit you know we're even actually performing things in the theatre but always in the auditorium or in different ways you know mm. so it's not the usual way and it's nice as a creative process to do that and i think it's great for audiences to see things in a different way as well
0: yeah
1: uh, yeah i i can imagine with the creative process of it as well with the relationships that you build on working on a on a project like that you know if you if you have to stage manage the whole thing yourself and do the whole producing side and make sure there's toilet roll in the leaves, um you know you have that you build that kind of closer relationship with everyone because they're trying to
2: all get together to make it work Mm. yeah i think i think it's then appreciating what everybody else does as well you know because often if we don't haven't done it ourselves we don't appreciate it but i do appreciate what stage managers do what lighting designers do what you know front of house people do so yeah but it's it's a nice thing to do to understand how it all works together
0: yeah. but also
2: nice to be able to hand it over to people who are specialized in those areas rather.
0: Than yes. <laughs> Absolutely. What I'm yeah. good at. You do what you're good at, but together we'll make something incredible. <laughs> exactly. But can you actually tell us what your first experience of opera
2: was? Um, do you know I think my very first experience was probably seeing Ingmar Bergman's film The Magic Flute, which is a beautiful film. Um, which was shot in Drottningholm, I think, you know, this amazing baroque theatre in Sweden. And it's very charming and beautiful. My dad took me to that. And I remember sort of thinking, oh, this is nice, but not really getting excited by it. And then um, I had some not very good experiences in the German theatre that I was working in. So I I was very much, I much preferred theatre rather than opera, because it always felt very staid and boring and then the first experience I had that made me change my mind completely was David Alden's production of Mazeppa at the eno in the must have been the late 80s probably and it was really I think it was the first thing he did there and it was really expressionist and it was so visceral and alive and exciting that I went my god this is what I've been looking for you know this is what I wanted to do with theater and it was just like, you know, a hundred times more intense with opera. Um, So that's what kind of convinced me that it's possible. And then I slipped into it. I didn't choose to work in opera in any way. I was really working in theater. And then I slipped into it by working with David Freeman on a big theater production. And then he said, would I like to do some opera? And I went, well, I don't really know it. I mean, I read music, but I don't know anything about opera. And he went, ah, it's the same as theater which isn't entirely true, but it was a really nice way in because it just meant I didn't have that fear of opera. Um, So I just really explored it from a theater point of view. And then I, much later I was, uh, I had the great good fortune of working with Peter Sellers um, at Glyndebourne on Theodora. And from him, I learned how to work with the chorus because that's always the scary thing. If you come from theater, it's one thing to be working with singers, you know, but then to work with a chorus, a group, a big group of singers, that's quite scary. And I think we often don't have that experience of how to do it. So um, working with Peter Sellers was just a really, really wonderful way of of um, thinking about working with choruses and also to really appreciate every single person in the chorus and not just think you're just a big group, um, which is what sometimes happens.
0: yeah, that's really important to mention because so, yeah. so often you can heat like when you think about it, a course is just placed on the stage and it's just like okay you guys stand here, but then in productions where you see that every single person has a job, it's actually like, oh they thought they thought about this as well, and it's something that I guess it's like <laughs> thinking of extras in a in a in a film or in a television series, whereas in theater you only really have your main characters and rarely do you have anything more
2: yeah absolutely it's only greek theater really that's where it started you know um the idea of yeah. chorus but we don't do greek theater very much anymore and i think that's sort of it feels not always appropriate you know we we then often choose different ways of working with a chorus in theater than you would in opera yeah mm.
1: Yeah, well you've segued really nicely into our next question. Um, so aside from the chorus, having worked in theatre and working with opera singers, not necessarily the production itself, but actually working between actors and singers, um, what would you say
2: the key differences are between them? Um, so I think with singers, every singer has a different background and experience of, as an actor because there's not a uniform way of training singers. Um, so because of that, as a director, you have to be very quick at sort of working out where people are coming from, what their experience is. And often, you know, it can be culturally very diverse too. So if you get somebody from Eastern Europe, their experience is going to be very different to somebody who's UK trained um, and different to somebody who who lives in France or, you know, has been trained in France. So we ha- it's very, very diverse. And um, you have to sort of find a way of bringing people together in the same so that they're inhabiting the same world and, and finding a style that works for everybody. As an actor, you know, you, as a director working with actors, you rely on the fact that they've been trained and they've got a, a certain amount of background understanding, obviously, hmm. again, they might be trained in different yeah. ways, but y- you understand that. The thing i do find, so, so that's the sort of challenge, I suppose. But what I have also found is that singers are often, I mean, certainly UK trained singers, are often really game um, and very open to doing things that sometimes certainly sort of Stanislavski or method trained actors might not always be up for because they would be like, I need to understand this working from the inside out. And opera singers are often happy to also work from the outside in. And I think you need both, personally, you know. I mean, some mm-hmm. things work better for some singers or actors than others. But if you can do both, it's really, really helpful. Um, yeah, so it's it's different. I mean, I, to be honest, I now haven't worked with actors for quite a long time. I tend to work in opera. So I mm-hmm. I can't say more than that, really. That was sort of my experience at the beginning.
1: No, that's a, it's a really interesting way to think about it. I hadn't thought of the considerations of just working with people from different backgrounds i guess it's it's obvious but you don't necessarily think of that straight
2: away yeah and i mean even in the uk you know depending which college they've been to or when they were trained or you know all those sort of things um it can be very different people's experience and then off you know usually the good people they've, they've all learned on the hoof or they've worked with good directors and again yeah. if you've worked if i'm working with singers who worked with good directors i know i can rely on a certain amount of understanding and and you know, expertise on the stage. Whereas if you work with young yeah. singers who haven't had that experience, it can be very different. Yeah. You know? so it, yeah.
0: It's also interesting that even in like 10 years, there's can be completely two different schools of thought for one educational building, like for let's say the Royal Academy, someone who graduated 10 years ago will have one kind of training and someone who's just recently graduated will be completely different training. And you still, and, and when yeah. you get them, you're just like, Oh, you went to RAM. Amazing. Oh, I actually don't know what kind of training you
2: have. Yeah, no, you don't know. And and some of the, some of the, well, a lot of the conservatoires don't have a consistent training. And that would be my criticism. Mm. You know, they don't have a consistent acting class train. you know, cl- proper training. It's like stagecraft, whatever that might be, which I, you know... I hate <laughs> because, you know, often it tells, yeah. you know, <laughs> you learn to sort of open up to the audience all the time. And actually that's not the most interesting thing. And you can do much, mm. you know, it can be much more complex than that. But anyway, that's just my, my thing, you know, and I, I'd i say mm. somewhere like the Guildhall, they, they're they pretty consistent in their acting training, but a lot of the other colleges mm. aren't always. So then it's, then it's yeah. dependent on yeah. who, you know, how much acting classes they've had, at a certain time or who they've worked with as a director and that kind of thing yeah Yeah.
0: do you follow any Mm. particular process as you plan out a production
2: well i have i suppose i have my own internal process uh, as to how i uh, prepare for a production but i wouldn't say it's sort of like it's a school or anything um Mm. and then i also have a different process that i will work with particularly young singers with so i suppose myself i i work you know i do a lot of research and i listen a lot to the piece and then i collaborate with my designer or designers mm-hmm. and choreographer as well sometimes um and then it you know the piece evolves and we discuss it a lot but it comes from a lot of research so there's a sort of whole research um not exactly academic, but also trying to really, but research in all different directions. So it's not just going to libraries and reading things. It might be also watching films or going to exhibitions or, you know, understanding Mm. the background of the, you know, the composer, those kind of things. So literally I try and throw everything at it. And then I allow my subconscious to work because I really, I've learned that that's something I have to trust to come up with ideas or connections Mm. of things that are new. so I don't do it all logically completely, so i tr i understand you know I trust my sort of embodied sense of of working things out, and then often I have to sort of find a key to something you know, and it can be very, very different things in different productions um and then obviously once we're once I'm in the rehearsal room, I have prepared the whole piece that I understand the piece in the night and also my understanding of the characters. but then, like I was saying earlier, um usually that's pretty still pretty fluid as well. I don't go, oh, you've got to walk over here and do this at this particular moment. Although I'll probably have key moments that, you know, that might want mm. to happen. Um, so, and then what I do work with sort of in terms of acting training is I, I do quite a lot of Laban work, which is, I find very mm. helpful for singers because it's a, quite a structured approach and it's also very physical, but you can also make it very small and internal and psychological um but it allows for a much bigger repertoire of um character and movement and it's it's quite gets quite complex so you can do sort of tip of the iceberg very simple which gives singers a a bigger repertoire and what what movement choices they can make um and you can also you know go you can start digging very deep and that's really exciting yeah
1: yeah and i guess that really kind of counters the the park and bark, yeah, absolutely. which you mentioned like, earlier, just to be free in your movements yeah. and really think about
2: the lab. And and also, you know, and also the interaction between people. So I, I, I suppose I, I feel it always sounds a bit nebulous and sort of wafty, but I would approach something I'm, from a quite an energetic point of view. So for me, it's important the atmosphere that's created and the interaction and the space between people as much as what's happening in each single person on stage as well. You know, so it's like, and the relationship with the space and the intent, you know, I think that's the most important. It's like, why are we doing this in the first place? Um, is it all bored, what's it the story yeah. we're telling now that's important? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. mm
1: mm-hmm. and, and, and what is it that you expect from the singer in, when, when they come into the rehearsal room? Um, I think
2: the f- main thing I expect is openness. That would be for me the, the key. I think if somebody's open, we can always work out something amazing. When people have a fixed idea of something or think it's gotta be like this, or this is the only way I do it, or that kind of thing, it's very hard. Or when they over intellectualize all the time, so rather than just trying to do something, just giving it a go, experimenting, experiencing. So what I want is people to be open and to be sort of physically and emotionally available so that they're ready to try things out and experiment. Um, That would be my main thing. Of course, it's always great when people have prepared, I mean, obviously prepared, you want them to know their music and to understand the character they're playing and the piece that we're doing. I mean, those kind of things are really important, but that's a sort of, I'd say just a prerequisite, you know, that's something you just expect. Um, But as a sort of otherwise, it's people who are open and uh, experimental and playful and you know happy to to work things out together and collaborative I think that's also the other thing yeah and kind, you know, that and word kind podcast, yeah. Collaborative. yeah and being <laughs> kind I think that's an expectation you know being kind to the people that we're working with everybody you know not just the other singers and the people who are who've got the status or who are sort of in charge who are kind to everybody. I think that's really important too.
0: I remember the first time I walked into a real yeah. rehearsal room, I was so nervous because I was also there as a consultant. Like I wasn't really part of the cast and I said hi to everyone. And I think everyone was like, this girl is a little too excited. I'm like, well, hello, this is really exciting. Does anyone want to hear anything? Like, what can I get? I was just so excited. I think it's also one of those things. And then you're like, oh, everyone's actually really nice here. I could calm down, relax, like, no one's worried now i'm just a crazy person here but it's fine
2: <laughs> but it's wonderful i think that's really important you know and again just you know that's what i learned from peter sellers as well he wouldn't know every single person who worked backstage he would know you know the per- he'd have a chat with the person um on the door at the you know at stage door that sort of thing and i think it's really important i mean I, and that's my ethos anyway is that we're all doing this together and it shouldn't be mm. Oh, creatives and singers and you know people who are yeah. on stage, yeah. and then whoever's backstage is just there to service them. Not at all. You know, we we are all doing this together. We're all human beings, and that's the most important yeah. thing. That we as human beings, what can we do together? And we've chosen this beautiful, yeah. um, you know, thing called theatre or opera, which is just so extraordinary because it's the most collaborative space, the most creative collaborative space that we could we could want. You know, to to create. But then sometimes it also is the worst space when people are not behaving well or not supporting Mm -hmm. each other.
0: Have you got Mm -hmm. a favorite opera that you've directed or that you plan on directing?
2: Oh, well, I've I've got quite a few favorite operas that I've already directed, so I've been lucky to do. So I'd say Janacek, Katya Kabanova, Yenufa, Mm -hmm. um, and Rozalka by Dvozak. I love doing that. You really like the Czech Mm one yeah as well and then a lot of britain you know turn of the screw i'd love to do more britain so peter grimes and billy budd definitely love to do i'd like to do all the anacheks so i want to do um the macropolis case and from the house of the dead would be amazing although it's hardly ever done um yeah so there's still lots of operas i'd like to do but those that sort of world vocek another one i'd love to do
0: vocek's a great one (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah but yeah so i suppose yeah central european and eastern European is, but then also lots of uk nice. stuff you know and handle i love handle you know any any handle give me a handle i love it <laughs> <laughs> just anything all around
1: yeah. all around um excellent uh, well just to finish off i know you've done a lot of work with young singers and we have plenty of them listen to this podcast have you got uh What would be your advice to young singers uh, or even aspiring directors who are stepping out into the industry today? Mm.
2: Okay. Be persistent, you know, keep going, persevere if that's what you want to do and also keep your passion alive, you know, keep the flame burning. And for me the best way to do that is to always be learning something new and to be exploring other things, not just opera, because I think that's, can happen to it. Can become a very rarefied space, and actually, we need to bring real life into it, and understand, um, you know, everything about life because it's all represented in opera. So yeah. So mainly, persistent. Be persistent. Keep going, and keep passionate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Some motivational words there. What we all need to hear right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, particularly in this dark yeah. time. You know, I think these weird times that we're in now. It's an opportunity to learn something new, to go deeper, to really question why we're doing this and, and explore things that we've wanted to do. You know, we've always not had time to do. You know, so if it's learning a language or look, watching films that help or, you know, whatever it is, I mean, it could be anything, can't it? But just keep learning. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, it's
0: like finding why you're creative yeah. and marking down to that and building on that is very interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners where they can find you, what you're up to before we?
2: Well, most of my work has been either postponed or canceled, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at the moment I'm doing these um, filmed scenes at the Royal College of Music, which is lovely. Um, then I was supposed to be doing t- two operas. Um, so Der Rosenkavalier Cavalier and also Faust for Welsh National Opera, but their season's been canceled. So Cavalier is going to happen definitely in 2022. Um, not sure about fast. And well, next summer, hopefully I'll be doing Longbra's Cunning Little Vixen. So that's really great. Oh, really? I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's fantastic. where I So yeah, coming through
0: this podcast oh. with Cunning Little Vixen. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: very oh. close to our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wonderful. Yeah. And I've yeah. never done it before. So that's one. That's really on, on my list to want to do, but then I am going to be doing it hopefully
1: <laughs> oh yeah fingers crossed we'll definitely keep our our eyes and ears peeled for that um but thank you so much for hopping on today and chatting to us it's been really great to hear about all of your experiences and soak up all of that advice oh. so thanks, well, thank Olivia. you
2: both you're wonderful thank you. keep going it's amazing <laughs> We <were. laughs> thank you
1: question was who is your favourite opera director Mm -hmm. we've had plenty on this podcast but we thought we'd open out the floor have your say Abby what do you think
0: so I love every single director that we've had on this podcast um, and will come on this podcast but I have to say hands down David McVicker every single production that I can think of that comes to mind it's always a David McVicker production that I'm just like yes he's
1: kind of like he's kind of the king let's admit like I mean he's so
0: great at it
1: and so popular that it's you know it's a that's a popular choice and I'm sure it'll be a popular answer when we look through them next week but um yes rightly so like you, you know rightly so yeah what about you um well I am as you know a huge fan of written in turn of the screw so I'm gonna go um with the Garsington production of turn of the screw um which was directed by Louisa Muller um so I'll be I'll be honest yeah it's it's brilliant and it got it got great reviews but um I think like for me I'm really glad that we asked this question because I've never really focused in if I'm honest like on opera directors and followed you know careers of opera directors so uh, for this question i kind of just went to a production that i really really love um and yeah we can't wait to hear your answers we'll uh, certainly check yeah. out all of the work and directors that you mentioned to us so yeah
0: this week's podcast thank you so much to olivia for coming on and talking to us please check out all of olivia's information and check her out because she is incredible
1: she is absolutely incredible it was great to chat to olivia but to make sure you never miss an episode be sure that you're following us on all of our social media pages we're aa opera pod everywhere
0: and we even have a little bit of a giveaway going on right now on our instagram so if you want to go go check that out and let us know what your most favorite guest has been so far.
1: Oh, yeah. Do check that out. And if you really, really, really love this podcast and would like to join us for live streams and watch parties, do check out the Patreon at
0: www.patreon.com forward slash AA opera. And uh, lastly, thank you very much to our sponsor, Primephonic, for sponsoring season for sponsoring us. That's it. Anyway, have a great, great week and we will see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.